Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Odo Approach, a podcast made by medical students for medical students to teach you about all things otolaryngology. You're here today with Aileen and Hannah, and we're having a chat with Dr. Kirby. Dr. Kirby completed an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering and then completed medical school at Memorial University. He then completed a residency in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery at the University of Western Ontario. He then did a fellowship in microvascular reconstruction in Philadelphia, and then went on to Los Angeles for facial plastic surgery training. Later, Dr. Kirby retrained as an anatomical pathologist and is currently a faculty member at Memorial University of Newfoundland. Please tell us a bit about yourself, Dr. Kirby. It's lovely to be with you, and um, thanks for the introduction. Just listening to you talk about that, I get tired thinking about it, but um, it's been a wonderful ride the whole way along. And to be honest with you, this was not planned. I kind of um, evolved into this as it went along. So we'll talk a bit about some of the steps along the way, but the truth is when I was done with um, fellowship training, um, I really missed Newfoundland Labrador. So I wanted to come back here and start a practice here that combined both a micro recon and the facial plastics and it worked out very well. So um, I would say to you guys, as we go along, there's only so much of this you can plan, some of this you have to kind of audible at the line, if you will. So um, you've highlighted some of the points along the path, but the truth is um, each chapter has been really fun and um, I've been very lucky to kind of evolve in a direction that I feel very comfortable with. And um, so it's lovely to be with you. And maybe I can share a few things that your viewers or readers or listeners can um, tweak to. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for telling us about that. And it's interesting to hear about all the different chapters of your life and that what brought you to where you are now. What initially drew you to otolaryngology? Well, ENT otolaryngology is a, is a really cool specialty. And part of the initial attraction was a part medicine, part surgery. And in the medicine world, it's part of, you know, upper GI, neurology, upper sartor, endocrinology, ophthalmology. On the surgery side, you got big stuff, cool, plastic kind of flap stuff, and you got real microsurgery with neurology or neurotology. So I think at the end of the day, it was a combination of all those things that really attracted me. And I think, um, you know, as you guys look at this, you'll find that within the field proper, there's an area for everybody. I think it's really, really undervalued in terms of its diversity. And I think that it really does provide you things that, that can you can also tailor depending on where you are in your life cycle. So when you're a junior surgeon, you're really, really, really gung-ho. You can go nuts and do big procedures. As you get more senior, you can um, begin to tailor practice more towards, say, the clinic in less call and so on and so forth. So it's really got all the elements you you would want. Yeah, absolutely. So you sort of said earlier that, you know, you can't really plan your path entirely and sometimes things happen the way they happen and you go with it. So what drew you to then do a fellowship after you had done ENT? So like you said, it's so there's so many different avenues to go within otolaryngology. So how did you pursue a fellowship? 
So that's a really good question because I put my mind back where I was in um, 1998, which is when I finished at Western. And you're sitting there, and you are, you could do general practice or laryngology, but I, I really got interested in the cancers, in the reconstructions. And um, I've always said that if you're a trauma guru, you go the world of plastic surgery. And if you're a pathology guru, and a tumor person, you go the way of ENT. That's very true. And I was very lucky in my training at Western to do a three-month rotation in pathology as a PGY2. And little did I know that would foreshadow what happened to me 20 years later. So to answer your question, at the end of my training, um, I recall saying, no, I really like this stuff. But you can't do some of these big, big procedures without subspecialty training. So I found a person in Dr. Hayden, who's in Philadelphia, who was a, a world-class person in this domain. And I was lucky enough to spend time with him. And, um, you know, that really set the stage. After that, I felt like I was kind of foreshadowing myself. I was saying, well, you know, I could do this for five or ten years, but I'd like to be able to down-regulate in the world of rhinoplasty and facelifts. So... Even back then, I was going, well, you can't really do this forever, if this being big flaps, big reconstructions. So that was kind of the mindset at the time. Absolutely. It sounds like the fellowship you pursued allowed you to focus in on your area of interest and do the surgeries that you were most interested in as well. I know that we mentioned some of the points along your journey in the introduction and how you transitioned into the field of anatomical pathology. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition from otolaryngology to anatomical pathology? Right. So that's that's a big one. Right? <laughs> like, I don't advocate everybody in there when they're 40 years old to make a change like that. But I had a significant life event, and I had to kind of sit back and say, okay, well, I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to do microsurgery until I'm 60, given this. So I made the tough call of going back and retraining. Now, as I just said to you, part of the initial attraction to ENT was the fact that if you're an ENT kinder, you tend to be a pathology guru because pathology is a huge part of ENT, right from biopsies to the tumor section to the reconstruction. So little did I know, but the seeds of that change were sown way back when in PGY2. So when I'm sitting there figuring out how to re-vector, I thought, you know, pathology might be just the right answer. And it's, it's turned out to be just the right answer, so I've been very lucky. But it's not kind of a move that everybody make after that, but uh, in my particular case, it was a good choice. We're glad to hear that it was a good choice. It seems like throughout all your education, you've gained different skills and and it seems like you're able to put it all together within anatomical pathology and still do lots of head and neck stuff. And it seems like it's just been such a crazy journey, but it's so inspiring to listen to. We were wondering what sort of things do you uh, find interesting in terms of research or community engagement and what sort of things do you do in, in terms of those? Well, that's a great question, and there are a couple of things to talk about. Number one, I guess I'm getting older, but the truth is I really enjoyed hanging out with you guys. Um, because 
a big part of uh, where I'm at in my career is uh, trying to inspire you people, the younger crowd, to make the right choices, to get the work world life balance correct. And ENT ticks all those boxes. So does the pathology bothering. So I'm very lucky because the classic case where my background comes to bear is saying ENT hitting surgery with a frozen section. So I come down there, and of course, I know exactly what the game is, what the sticks are, and what the risks are. And that makes it um, a very satisfying job because you say, you know, you may not be a master of your domain, but you're pretty darn close. Like you'd really know the small size. And I know we don't often think of health healthcare this way, but it really does allow you to bring value to the process. The other thing I really like, and this harkens back to my days as an electrical engineer, because the truth is modern healthcare is becoming more like electrical engineering and computer science than this about healthcare. And that's not all good, but it is what it is. So I'm very involved in med tech. So my microscope will be gone within five years and microscopes will be replaced by digital pathology. So all the slides will be digitized and shown on high-res monitors. Now that does a couple of things. It allows us to share with our colleagues around the world. So you, you get the point of crowd diagnosis, right? You get like a billion smart people looking at the same side going, oh, I think it's this, I think it's that. So you have huge sharing, but also in the world of analytical microscopy, once you digitize things, you can begin to apply dimensions to the geometry, you see, and then, then all of a sudden you create a big data problem, and then all of a sudden you get a bunch of AI involved. So it's going to become really, really cool. And if you're not involved in pathology, what will happen is you'll begin to have 3D pathological images and virtual reality. So no longer will you be, say, popping up the films for a CD scan, and now you move on to the packs, of course. But soon you'll have immersive media where you'll be inside the image, looking around the heart from below, from the back. So the same is going to happen to pathology. And the next pair, 3D microscopy, is going to be within the cell. So now you're going to get down to the organelle left. So when I say that, um, patient XYZ has a mitochondrial pathology, you'll be able to get right in there and see how the electron transport chain is not working properly. Now, all that sounds kind of Buck Rogers, the next generation, but it, it really is coming. And um, it'll be there. You remember this conversation. It'll be there by the time you're done your fellowship training. So that's the kind of stuff I'm really intrigued by research-wise. I'm running the Eastern Health End digital, digital Pathology. And through cross-appointment through the engineering school, we have a fair bit of collaboration. So um, like I said, healthcare is no longer just healthcare. It's kind of mid-tech. It's a long answer, but it's a big question. Absolutely. It's really interesting how the field of pathology is developing technologically. Do you see these technological developments in otolaryngology as well? Yeah, one of the attractions to otolaryngology to begin with is it's highly 
technology driven, right? So a classic example is a fast operation of mental design is it's all now CT guided, right? So you have a CT scan, you put it in the machine, and the CT scan keeps track of where your instruments are. So neurosurgeons call that serotactic, but the truth is it's really just image guided localization of where you are. So you don't do bad things, right? So you're going to see that continue. And my estimation is that 10 years down the road when we're talking, you'll be in the ORC and you'll have an engineer plus minus a nurse, nurse um, around the OR and they'll be integral parts of the whole procedure. So for example, I'll give you a great example. This will fall in the world of precision medicine or customizable medicine. Let's say you have a person who has a, a tumor that involves a jaw. Take it out. The real-time image goddess system will come in, image the contour of the remaining mandal, and in real-time, they'll 3D print a plate that fits the custom muscle, and that'll be done in the OR in real-time. You can see how it really does change the game, right? And it really does allow higher caliber and higher precision to what we do, because when I first started, the truth was you took this out and then you had to, with your eye, kind of bend the plate to get the right convexity or concavity, which is fine, it worked fine, but it's not as good as in 3D, 3D printing in real time. That's going to be the next level. So ENT is full of stuff like that. I could go on for hours about this, but it's really exciting. So that's in part why I got attracted to ENT, because with the air or sinus or head and neck, there's a lot of nerve monitors, guided devices. There's a lot of technology in the OR all the time. And it's only going to get bigger. It's awesome as medical students to hear about the future of ENT, the future of medicine in general, and how much it's evolving. And hearing you say that it'll be different all of a sudden by the time we're in fellowships is is really cool and really awesome. And especially when it leads to better patient outcomes, which it for sure will. Speaking of medical students, Hannah and I have both uh, had the privilege of having you as a professor before, and we've gotten lots of clinical pearls throughout those lectures. We were hoping you could share some advice you have for medical students with our listeners. Well, you know, that is a really good question. And again, it's a sign that maybe I'm getting older. But when I look back, because I worked in 17 different teaching hospitals across North America. And it was the same for me, it's the same for you guys. There's a couple of big challenges as you go through this because it goes on over a long period of time. So it means it goes on over a lot of life changes, right, for all of us. So number one, it really isn't what you pick. The challenge is to pick the thing that's right for you. And I always tell people, the trick in life is very simple. What you do, has to overlap with who you are. And once you get that right, it's easy. But getting that right is hard because you really do have to think carefully about what you choose to care about. You're at this point where there's a whole bunch of choices. You're being asked to ask yourself, well, what do I really want to? Well, it's hard to know because partly it's a leap of faith or you're jumping off the cliff and you're kind of hoping, well, I hope I like it on the way down, right? So my own advice to you is, whatever you pick, whatever you pick, try and make sure it, the tempo, the stakes, the lifestyle, overlaps with who you are, right? And the other thing 
that I would say to you, and this is important, because I've had some good friends along the way, and um, there's always going to be some challenges. But I would say to you all, certainly all your listeners, do not lose yourself along the way, because it's easy to. It's a long ride. There may be marriages, divorces, kids, no kids, whatever. But because it's such a wonderful area and you can really lose yourself in it, it's very easy to lose yourself, period. And the person you started as a young doctor in med one is not going to be the person you are when you're done PGY5. And that could be good, that could be not so good. So my advice to you when we're all said and done is uh, try not to lose yourself along the way. And that's easier said than done. That's a great piece of advice for those listeners going through CARMS, deciding on specialties and fellowships. You know, we throw the word resiliency around a lot. And it applies to not just doctors, it applies to people in general today. Certainly after COVID, we've all learned that. Um, I can tell you, in my humble view, when I look at all comers, the happiest people I know are the ones who end up doing what they did overlap with who they were. And I don't really mind what you do, but the, as a general rule, those people seem to be the happiest. That's all I'm saying. Thank you for that advice. That's uh, really helpful for those of us who are going through those difficult decisions right now, what we want to do and what our values are and what the values are of those specialties. So we really appreciate the advice and all your your wisdom and your experience. And I think our listeners will appreciate that as well. Again, I just want to thank you for having me on. Uh, it's always good fun. And like I said, I really enjoy hanging out with younger people. I guess I'm getting older now. So uh, I try and make myself available to all you folks on a regular basis. The one thing I tell you, despite all the challenges we as a society face over the last couple of years, the future is really exciting. Again, it's not really about what you do, it's about believing in yourself. Don't get too high, don't get too low, don't lose yourself, and just carry on. In the end of the day, it'll all be fine. I joke because I look at my path and well, no one could predict that. And I say to people all the time, you know, I'm not quite sure why, but the world kind of unfolds the way it should. And that's very reassuring when you're staring down the barrel or barrel of a karma's interview or whatever. Trust me when I say, and you won't believe me right now, but maybe it will in 10 years' time. Somehow, it always works out just fine. Thank you so much, Dr. Kirby, for your advice and talking about your experience. And thank you to the listeners that have tuned in. And we hope to see you back for our next episode.